0: A reading from the Bible this evening is Psalm 63. It's a psalm of David, and he wrote this apparently when he was in the desert of Judah. Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to uh, to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God, all who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced.
1: Great, thank you John very much indeed. And so we come to those words this evening with the title Longing for God, and uh, we're just going to think a little bit about what this psalm is saying to us and what it means for today. It's a psalm that expresses deep thirst, a deep longing for God, not a longing for the church or for the Bible or for Christian friends or for the latest modern uh, expressions of Christian worship, but for God himself, a longing for God. So let's try and go a little bit deeper in our thinking from all those other things, all of which have their place, of course, but let's go a little bit deeper and say, what does it really mean to have a longing for God? I wonder, when, when were you last really thirsty to know God himself? You see, human thirst is an indication, isn't it, that we need, our bodies need to take water. After the morning service, we went round uh, and had a look at uh, some of the cyclists who were making their way up uh, Tamworth Lane, was it, and then round that rather steep bend into Shakespeare Drive. It was a slightly tricky turn there, uh, but uh, we were watching, cheering them on, and uh, it was a great, great ride. Congratulations to Nick for completing the ride in a very uh, successful time, and uh, all the others who've been riding today. But one of the key things, of course, of cycling a, a long distance like that is to take water, because your body is is hydrating, it's losing water all the time, dehydrating, and you need to hydrate, you need to take in the water. And in hot climates, the message is always to keep on drinking. Your body needs water, and we don't always notice when moisture is evaporating. It's very true in the regions of Israel-Palestine, around uh, particularly the Judean Desert and the Dead Sea. Here is an image of the Judean desert looking down towards the Dead Sea, uh, a very dry and a very hot region. Uh, Israel has uh, some amazingly different climates and moves very quickly from one region to another. But this area especially is uh, a desert region where it's hot and dry and where drinking is so, so important. We have to respond to the need for physical water in order to hydrate our bodies. But our inner being needs God as well. And this psalm is a cry from the heart. And I think it reflects 21st century Christianity. We're continuing to see a lessening of interest in organization, strategy and structure. And a growing interest in spiritual encounter. Where you come away with a genuine understanding and experience that you have met with God in a new and powerful way. Uh, Many of you know that we have recently uh, moved into the second phase of running the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. It's a bit of a cumbersome title that actually isn't it? Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. But it's a great course and uh, there were 18 of us on Wednesday. I think uh, if everyone is able to come at the same time there will be 22 in the group and uh, we're working through some of this material that is uh, really focusing very much on slowing down, on spending time really listening to God, of being aware of those spiritual disciplines that are so essential in nurturing a healthy spirituality. And so as I come particularly to this psalm this evening, I'd like to ask two questions. And the first is, what kind of God are we to seek? And then the second is, how is that search answered? What kind of God do we seek first of all? And then how is that search answered? Because this psalm begins, God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. And it's easy to sort of say, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I I want to know God. I seek after him. I thirst for him. What kind of God are we talking about here? And it's quite remarkable that as this psalm unfolds, It tells us so much about God. And just to touch on some of those things, first of all, it tells us that we have a mighty God. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He is a mighty God. The sanctuary was a focus point of worship in Jerusalem, where the ark was sitting, where later the temple was built. Many synagogues, And many altars, but only one temple. And there's a longing for that Isaiah chapter 6 experience. Do you remember Isaiah, who in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord. To see the Lord in the sanctuary. There's something awesome about that. Reflected, of course, in the way that the temple was built, with curtains, with the holy place, the holy of holies, and the Ark of the Covenant. And there was something about that which just expressed the awesome power of God. It was something that was saying there is dynamite in the heart of the presence of God, such that in the Old Testament way of living and thinking, there were all those steps that had to be taken to reach the very center. If God is not almighty, he's not worth knowing. There are many aspects to God's character. But we begin here that he is a mighty God. As he spoke to Moses and said, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. If you want to be serious with God, if I want to be serious with God tonight, we're encountering a God of awesome power. Whose ways and whose thoughts are far higher and far higher greater than ours a mighty God to see you in the sanctuary to behold your power and your glory then he is a loving God isn't it interesting that these words go on to say straight away after that because your love is better than life my lips will glorify you A very quick movement from the might and the power of God declared in the sanctuary, in the holy of holies, to the love of God declared among his people. A covenant love, a love that is undeserved and unlimited in the goodness that God expresses to his people. The best thing ever indeed, it's better than life itself. It's always good when we can celebrate good times in our lives. Perhaps a special birthday, a special landmark, a special occasion. And we have a bit of a party, a bit of a gathering, and it's always a great boost to celebrate those special occasions. But, of course, those moments come and go. But the constant love of God remains. And that is the best thing of all in life. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And then we also have a listening God. And I'm just following step by step through this psalm where we read, I praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. And I sense that these words are a natural heart response, not so much the organized prayers of thanksgiving, but the natural waking up in the morning and saying, God, it's so good to be alive today. All good things come from you, and I praise your holy name for the gift of life and for all that it brings. That awareness of God's interest in daily life, that prayer is a conversation, it's a dialogue rather than a monologue. It's not kept and locked away for specific times. Because God is listening all the time. He's a listening God. He delights to engage and to know what is going on in our lives. And then as the psalm goes on, the next phrase talks about a satisfying God. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And this is talking about a celebratory meal. I will be satisfied with the richest of foods. This is not just a snack. Here is hospitality at its very best. I remember some years ago, the extreme generosity of the Romanians. Uh, They're a great nationality for generous hospitality. But I think what was so striking was that often that was in the context of deep poverty. So a family that would very seldom eat meat would serve that meat as an expression of welcome to their guests. Uh, And several times when I've been in Romania, I've been on the receiving end of that generous hospitality. Embarrassing sometimes because you kind of feel that those who have so little uh, should have The best food themselves but of course they want you to enjoy it and this is a picture of a spiritual feast that God wants to nourish us with the very best so that we're totally satisfied in the presence of God there's nothing lacking at all the tenses are a little bit unclear in the psalm is this something that the writer has known and wants to know again or what he understands will be the effect of a true encounter with the living God. If it begins in the sanctuary, it clearly spills out into the whole of life as a continual awareness of God's love and God's blessing. And I think really what's happening here in this psalm is that uh, we're starting, as it were, with the mighty God in the sanctuary. But then that God is overflowing, the loving God who's interested in the everyday, the listening God who hears all our conversations, the satisfying God who nourishes us with the very best every single day. And then a faithful God. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I cling to the shadow of your wings. We're not talking here about a God who may sometimes be present and then sometimes be absent, but a God who is faithful day and night. I don't know about you, but I think nighttime can be the most anxious part of the day. Thankfully, I'm blessed with uh, generally sleeping very well. But occasionally, I will wake in the night. And sometimes that wakeful time at the night can be the time when anxious thoughts fill your mind. And if you're under pressure, maybe it's when you lie down and everything else stops that all those issues come racing into your mind to haunt you and maybe deprive you of sleep. God is there through the watches of the night And it's in that confidence that fear is transformed into song. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. In that presence of God, overwhelmed by the presence of God, even the night becomes a place of worship and of prayer. And then a protective God. The psalm goes on, verse 8, to say, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. And as we go through this psalm, I haven't yet said anything about the likely historic context in which it is set. And whilst we can't be absolutely sure, there's very good evidence that as the footnote at the top of the psalm, if you're following in the NIV, says the psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Well, when was David in the desert of Judah? It's when he was being chased by Saul. And so there could well be a link that David was here traveling into the Judean desert, knowing that he was being chased. He was on the run. There was an atmosphere of extreme danger. And in that danger, he literally clung on to God for safety. I cling to you, he says. Your right hand upholds me. When was the last time you actually clung on to the presence of God? recognizing that he's a mighty God, a loving God, a listening God, a satisfying God, a faithful God and a protective God, and you're clinging on to him. The final words of the psalm give a little bit of a twist. Some people think it might be a later edition, but I think it belongs. Those who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword. And become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glorify him. Glory in him. The mouths of the liars will be silenced. Does that end of the psalm spoil it? I don't think so. I think it completes the picture. By telling us that we also worship a just God. And eventually God's justice will be known by all peoples and all nations. The king is safe. Not because he is king, but because he is faithful to the God who called him. This psalm of David, as he was on the run in the desert of Judah, is very rich in the way that it expresses so much concerning God himself. The kind of God whom we worship. You are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. If this is the God whom we are longing for and who we serve, then how is that search going to be answered? How are we going to come to that place where we just know that God is there? I think you'll realize that within this psalm, there are a number of different images. And uh, as we just identify those, it helps us to answer this question. There is, first of all, the significance of the desert place. And if we take it that this psalm was written by David himself in the Judean desert, we can say that God will come to you in your personal desert place. And the symbolic desert... Is any place where the landscape of the spirit through sadness or bereavement or tragedy or crisis of any sort. Or through weariness or disappointment or through a gradual loss of energy where the landscape of the desert feels dry. The significance of the desert place. And sometimes God is found most powerfully when everything else is stripped away. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus were all people whose desert experiences were formulative in their character. This particular image is taken from Jericho looking towards uh, what is called the Mount of Temptation. Now, we don't know exactly where Jesus was tempted, but suppose it was in this region, and certainly everything suggests that it was in the region of the Judean Desert. Uh, There were those who, fairly early in the history of the Christian church, thought it was here. So they built a monastery that is called the Monastery of Temptation. And if you look very carefully on the screens, then uh, that monastery is just visible. uh, It's across there on this particular screen. But it's uh, built with the same stone as the rock of the mountain. So it's really hidden into the mountain. And you almost have to be there. To see it clearly but it's very interesting that in that desert place there has been a gathering of people for worship and for prayer for centuries and sometimes it is a long period of waiting which doesn't come easily in our world of instant results but many people's spirituality has been formed through the desert place and other Psalms speak very powerfully of it. I think especially Psalm 29. Psalm 29 and verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. God comes into that desert space and shakes the dullness, the dryness, the barrenness with his presence the significance of the desert place in finding the true presence of God but not just the desert place the significance of the sanctuary because that's the other image that is here in this psalm as it begins God you are my God I earnestly seek you I thirst for you my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water that's the suggestion of desert I have seen you in the sanctuary And beheld your power and the glory. And so the psalm goes on to explain all those things we've just said about who God is. The significance of the sanctuary as the place where God dwells. It may indeed mean the place in Jerusalem where the ark was kept. But the word literally means holy place. Sanctuary means where God is. And where is he? Well, we know he is everywhere. And the thought here is not just that God is known in the formal and structural moments of worship around a particular place or a particular object for which we might use the word sanctuary, but that he's also known in the sacred moment of every day and every place. There's a movement in this psalm from knowing God in the formal place of the sanctuary to knowing God in everyday life, in the feasting, in the sleeping, in the watching, in the waking. Because God is to be known in all times and in all places. And just as we can find God in the loneliness and seeming emptiness of the desert, we can find Him also in the fullness and the busyness. Of an active life. many different places can be for us a sanctuary, a holy place where we find God again. Your home can be a sanctuary, as perhaps you sit in the quietness of one room or another room, and maybe you read and play, pray and reflect, and in that place, the presence of God is felt more deeply. Your place of work can be a sanctuary. You may feel the very opposite. But nevertheless, God is as much there as he is anywhere else. And you can step aside from all the pressure, the tension, the aggravation of whatever your work life might entail. And just hold on to the fact that God is there. Because he is Everywhere your home, your place of work, your car or wherever can be your sanctuary because God is there. The significance of the desert that in the dryness God can be known, the significance of the sanctuary, the special places, the holy places which can be formed all around us wherever we are. But ultimately, our longing for God in a dry and thirsty land, our deep desire to encounter God, ultimately, it can only be answered in Jesus. And only the answer of the New Testament provides the fullness of what this psalm is saying. And Jesus said, of course, in John 7, verses 37 and 38, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart, will flow rivers of life-giving water. And it's so interesting that Jesus answers the cry of thirst in the desert place. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He answers the cry of the desert place. And he gives that answer from the temple courtyard, the sanctuary, the dwelling place of God. And so, as it were, Jesus brings those two images together, the image of the desert and the image of the sanctuary. And he puts himself at the center of both and says, come to me and drink, and streams of life-giving water will pour out from your side. The Holy Spirit is already within you. If tonight you are a believer, and you are truly longing for God, and your trust is in Jesus, then he will refresh your spirit. And you drink in the truths about God, the reality of Jesus' love for you. You declare your own faith and your own commitment to him. And it is as if he opens the valve and lets his spirit flow. And the desert place will become the spring of life-giving water. And others will know the blessing as much as you will just to take the words of the same psalm and bring them to you in the message translation. And then the band will come back and lead us in some reflective songs. We hear these words again. God, you are my God. I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such hunger and thirst for God traveling across dry and weary deserts. So here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. In your generous love, I am really living at last. My lips brim praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful reflection. Because you've always stood up for me, I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life, and you hold me steady as a post. Those who are out to get me are marked for doom, marked for death, bound for hell, They'll die violent deaths. Jackals will tear them limb from limb. But the king is glad in God. His true friends spread the joy. While small-minded gossips are gagged for good. I love the refreshing use of English in that paraphrase of Psalm 63. Let's ask the band to lead us as we sing together.